This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 16. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. So today we're talking with Dr. Ann Myers and Dr. Jill Berkowitz, authors of The STEM Shift a guide for school leaders. So um, really interesting book and looking forward to talking to these two leaders. Anne is a professor emerita at Sage Colleges, where she was founding director of the Sage Doctoral Program in Educational Leadership and the Dawn Lafferty Hawksprung Center of the Promotion of Mental Health and School Safety. Prior to her career in higher education, she was district superintendent at Questar Three BOCES, a regional educational organization in upstate New York. She's the founding chair of the New York State Association for Women in Administration and remains on the board. Anne is also co-author with Jill of Leadership 360, a blog published by Education Week. And also joining us, we have Dr. Jill Berkowitz. Jill has spent her 30-year career in education, focusing on issues of equity and best practices in curriculum, instruction, assessment, and technology as they affect the development of all learners in the K-12 system. In her leadership roles as a principal and director of curriculum instruction and technology, equal access to quality teaching was a foundation of her work. Presently, Jill is an adjunct professor at SUNY New Haltz in the Educational Leadership Program. She serves on the board of New York ASCD and the educational consultant for their digital newsletter and as editor of their Impact Journal. Jill brings energy, passion for innovation and collaboration to all of our work, especially the Leadership 360 blog published by Education Week and co-authored with Anne. So welcome to the podcast, Anne and Jill. Thank you. Good morning, and thank you for the invitation to join you. It's great that you're here uh, to talk to us around this topic of STEM, because this is certainly an initiative that uh, is 
a lot of schools and a lot of leaders are talking about. And one of the things that I find is sometimes we think about STEM as just, we'll just give them more science and technology and math. But what was refreshing about your book is that you have a different approach to that. You're framing it a little bit differently. So talk to us about that and talk to us a little bit about the big question, the driving question uh, behind your work and around this idea of STEM and, and your book. Well, Randy, I think that the big question has two branches. One of them is a question about can the 20th century school, which has had remarkable success and serves the country very well, can it meet the need of the 21st century learner? That's one of the branches. And the other one was, what's going on out there on the horizon? What do we know about children and learning? And is there a place where that horizon intersects with what is going on in workplaces? As we begin to think about the whole issue of college and career ready. So the big question comes from those two places. And it led us to discover a variety of schools and school systems and classrooms across the country who were pursuing what they introduced to us as STEM. And that helped define and redefine for us um, both what STEM is and isn't, but also um, informed us that Already the term had taken off in the world, um, gotten the awareness of educators, politicians, and businesses, so that the term STEM has a meaning that needs to be defined and refined all the time. So that's a great point. And for early in our conversation, can you tell us from your perspective, what is STEM education and what isn't it? So um, this is certainly informed by our research around the country looking for uh, places that could explain that to us. But just first, let me step back and say that our introduction to it uh, came from something uh, from an experience that Anne had um, in Nashville, Tennessee, working with a district that had made a commitment to having K-12 STEM magnet schools. So could you um, explain your work with them? Nashville um, had made a decision to create a K-12 magnet school system that, was a, that would be a STEM system. And because it was the opportunity to create something new, they were also concerned about the adult relationships in those new schools as they were bringing faculty together from across Metro Nashville into create the creation of something new. And so I received a contract to work with the concept of adult community and what that would look like in an environment that was supporting new teaching and learning. And while I was working with the adult community, they began to teach me about STEM and its potential to really um, open up our thinking about all kinds of um, the system 
and the way it was structured and the way the adults interact and, and the way they plan lessons and the way that children can become engaged. So it was from that experience and watching the um, unfolding of and the building of relationships between the professionals who were going to both discover that they had the knowledge that they needed and discover what other knowledge that they needed in order to shift the environment to be more learner-centered and problem and project-based. Um, the the rea realization for us as um, Anne continued her work there and we started doing research in other places was this. We do need science, technology, engineering, and math to be something that is more focused on the preparation of our graduates. But that's not to the exclusion of everything else, including physical education. So that what we learn from science, technology, engineering, and math is the manner in which they serve each other and they are in service of each other. So the purpose of learning mathematical thinking is to solve problems. We solve problems in social studies in literature, we read about problems and solutions. So in technology, we need mathematics. In engineering, we need technology and mathematics. And science needs all of them. So the role as it has unfolded has, again, two branches. One is that we need to better prepare all students, not just those who have proclivities to do well. We must be able to prepare all students to make their own choices about where they're going to go after they graduate. The other is to understand that interdisciplinarity and problem solving is key. And we learn that most in science, technology, engineering, and math, but it has a role in every other subject, whether it's history, literature, English, physical education, you know, the arts, it, it's so that the STEM idea and how STEM subjects work with each other serve as the shifting foundation about how teaching and learning takes place in school. So I would say, um, Lynn, you asked the question, what isn't it? I would say that we came to a place where we would say it is not a subject area. It is not a program. It is not limited to high schools which is a myth that we discovered along the way. Um, and it is a new way of teaching and learning that involves softening the walls of the school to involve in a much expanded way partners from outside. So I think it, it definitely is important for us, and I know probably for our listeners too, to sort of hear about what those non-examples are as we start to wrap our heads around this idea of STEM education. And one of the things that I found really compelling about the beginning part of your book, and you mentioned it in one of your questions in the beginning when you said, what is going on on the horizon? And I find that this is, this is something that really needs to be on the radar of of more educational leaders this this idea sort of the why why are we doing this why what are we preparing our kids for why should we be shifting and changing things so what do you see as those things that are on the horizon that um, a shift towards stem education can help us more effectively address 
I think that um, we are well into this century and we have seen going all the way back to, you know, Tom Friedman's The World is Flat. Um, the idea that most everything in some way has been invented, but design thinking is what is driving this century. So computers existed in the last century, but what they look like and how they function now is different. So the capacities that are developed and developing in our world right now tell us a couple of things. One is no one can guarantee what the world or the workforce will look like for those students we now have as five-year-olds and six-year-olds. But what I can most assuredly tell them is that they need to be able to determine what is the truth. They have to determine what is fake news. They have to determine how can I solve this problem that we can't even define the problem right now. But so we have to be able to teach them how to work well together, how to question themselves, how to do appropriate research, how to see how things are interconnected. And when we began this, uh, this writing project, the environment of schools was an environment of frustration and fatigue. Um, public education is under assault um, for failing schools. If we um, think about Secretary DeVos, it, is un it, it has testing fatigue. We are uh, persistent with not solving the achievement gap. We're making progress, but we haven't solved it. There are funding constraints impacting public schools across the country. And so that environment has constrained creativity and innovation in the system. We're tinkering at it, but we really have not had the capacity, the opportunity, and the moment to release the creative energy that so many educators brought into the field and want to contribute as part of their professional lives. And we found that those systems that had turned to STEM or STEAM, and we should mention that, really have reignited their teachers as they're energizing the learning as well. We tinkered ourselves with even the title of the book. And um, although it's really important to have the A um, and the idea of the arts um, included, we actually know that um, in one of the schools uh, we spoke about in the book in East Syracuse, Manoa, the uh, middle school team, one of them wanted to rename it STREAM using the R for research. So the, um, you know, what's happening right now uh, in the world is there is a whole new group uh, of, of people who are considering, and in, in actually Arthur Miller uh, wrote Colliding Worlds, and it's about the collision of art and science and how they are intertwined. So it's an example of an understanding of the need to 
really embrace the idea that not only are subjects interconnected, but we are all interconnected. And so that everyone has a place at the table for designing how a district is going to cast off the exhaustion of the focus on, on mandate and whatever else is causing that and have the leader empower the organization to take risks and move forward with a larger foundation of people, including um, local and national and international business partners and um, higher education partners at that table on that journey. So one of the things that is going through my head as I'm listening to you uh, talk about this in relation to that question about what's on the horizon and all that, those layers of things that you've, that you've added there to, for us to think about is this idea that we want to help our learners be agile, that it is impossible for us to predict what's going to happen in the future, but they can have certain skills that um, allow them to be agile through those different content areas, defining and finding those problems and, and collaborating and working with others to find those solutions. So that idea of um, agile learners and, you know, you mentioned that the leadership piece there, which we're going to get to a little bit later too. And, you know, the, the challenge that Lynn and I face in our roles is how do we create the climate and the space for educators, our school leaders, and uh, our teachers to create the environment for those learners to become agile and and uh, help them get away from all those those mandates that seem to be crushing them. And that that's a that's our leadership challenge, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But this idea of the agile learner is something that's coming in my head as you're talking about that. I would just add to that, Randy, that um, that can't take place unless the environment is one that all people in the educational building are learners and that the adults themselves are experiencing um, an environment in which they become, because none of us who are already in the profession have necessarily experienced working in an agile learning uh, environment. So it has to happen for everyone in the environment. Yes, we would agree with that. And we've, heard, we've said that numerous times and have heard that on this podcast, the idea that everyone in the system is a learner. And we, we would also say, too, everyone is a leader, regardless of the title. So it's that, that learner-leader role, too, and everybody needs to embrace that. So I'm making a lot of connections to what you're talking about um, in terms of skill development and through stream and, and STEAM and um these ideas about, you know, softening the walls of schools and the integration and interdisciplinary approach um, and STEM ser sort of serving as that foundation and making those connections to our profile of a graduate and beliefs about learning that we have developed last year. And um, in our profile of a graduate, we've identified knowledge, skills, and dispositions that we want our graduates to have when they leave. And, and many of those skills you've mentioned as you've been talking about STEM collaboration and communication and, um, critical thinking, problem solving, you've talked about quite a few of them. And as more and more schools and districts begin to embrace these research-based beliefs about learning, how does a redesign anchored in the STEM ideas align with you know, personalization, learner agency, um, socially embedded learning, or open-walled learning? If you think 
talking to a traditional learner with a, or a traditional teacher with traditional training, if everybody could turn their minds to how science is taught in a lab, in a lab science. So what happens is that you learn something, you learn some foundational information, then you go to solve a problem in a lab and you don't have all the information you need. So you are motivated in order to solve that problem to go learn more. And in that process, in a science lab, each student has a different gap. So each student is individualized in their learning for how they're gonna solve that problem. And in most labs, it is more than one student working together. So if you take that as a frame of reference and imagine that starting in kindergarten and imagine that going across all subject areas, suddenly there is time for reading instruction and there is time for learning arithmetic. But the, the bigger move is into a project or a problem solving device and experience. So what happens is the teacher is the director um, who has done the, the, the planning so that the environment is inviting all of the students to solve the same problem to the same standards, but also supports each individual student for filling in their own gap with the facilitation of the teacher. So what this does is allow for gap closing, interventions by the teacher, communication between the students, research, reading, communication, and getting feedback from around the world using technology. And it can be as extraordinary and wide or as small and exploratory as the teacher is ready or as the system is ready. And that's an interesting point about as the teacher is ready and as the system is ready. Um, and we're just starting to really get ready, I guess, Randy, would you say? I mean, we're done, we've done a lot of the background work and we're starting to have the conversations and, you know, we've, we've created the vision and now we've spent a year building the vision and building a shared understanding of the vision. But um, I think that's a really interesting point that you just made about being ready. Have you included um, parents in the community in those discussions? We have tried. <laughs> um, you know, we, Randy and I use whatever venue is available to us. So we did a segment on our, our Salisbury Falcon Network, our TV show. Um, we met both PTO, PTA groups. Um, we spoke about it at our open houses, at every open house. We did a quick quick intro. We did invite parents and community members to be part of the process um, by offering multiple times and options, um, but we had limited participation. Oftentimes in doing this, we found that, you know, if, if a situation arose where that was not attended to, that the um, objection or the confusion that comes from parents when suddenly everything is group work or problem-based or the, the report card changes, that's when, you know, that's when the attention comes and it's difficult if there haven't been these opportunities. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you guys have opened it up and so the word is at least trickling out. Now they're, they might be in a wait and see mode. 
Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, one of the challenges of bringing about this transformation is we can, we can listen to examples from around the country of this transformation that's happening. But if it was so easy as transplanting it, the problem would be solved, but every context is different. And that's one of the things that's somewhat unique about us too, is that, um, we have provided those opportunities for engagement. Um, and so far we've had, I think very little resistance from, from parents and the change that we've put forth so far. But I think this idea of different contexts sort of leads into our, our next question. And that is early in, early in the book, you have a, a table where you present these various entry points or stages to this thing called the STEM shift. And you mentioned the, the Nashville work earlier. Are there some other exemplars or models that you um, would suggest that we as leaders who are interested in this kind of shift take a look at? Um, other things that you may have included in your book that, you, that you'd like to share here? Randy, before we go on to answer that question, you said something um, in your last comment that I want to go back and lift up if I could. Sure. We are, as educators, very used to responding to mandate change, responding to uh, regulation change, responding to legal change. What we found in every single example was that the STEM shift begins locally. And it is, it's unusual for us. We've not had that we can recall a, an educational shift that really begins at the bottom up. And in every case that, that is what happened. So in every case, it is an individual journey informed by other people who are pioneers out there. And so that's the context that we discovered when we created this, um, these entry points. All of them really a group of, inspired by a group of people who were edge walkers, who were pioneers, who were scanning the frontier, and then who were bringing it home and saying, what does that mean for us locally and how do we go ahead? Definitely connect with your idea of it coming from the bottom. And I think if we look at our district, our district is small, 1,600 students, um, four, four schools, two elementary schools, a middle school, and a high school. And you know, one of the questions that we ask, sort of off the radar, not necessarily publicly, is that you know, how, do we, how do we circumvent the system, so to speak? Or how do we take those mandates and how do we get where we want to go and sort of figure out how to go around them. And so I see us as a district sort of being that bottom up if we're looking at it from a state or a federal level. And then I think one of the ways that we've approached this is who's doing, where are the pockets of things that are happening now? And, and maybe Lynn can talk a little bit further about, share a little bit about what we've been doing, but the, finding those pockets and then having that sort of bubble up from the bottom and drive that vision and where we want to go. Yes. We and would think, say yes to that. <laughs> and I, I think this also lends um, to this idea of leadership. And, you know, two years ago, 
we formed a group of teachers. We called it our Innovate Salisbury group. And Randy and I podcasted with lots of authors to learn about the uncommon dots in education and, you know, different different things, different unique and innovative practices that other people were doing and having success with. And teachers learned alongside us and created um, project proposals, mini grants. We allocated some resources, time, and a little bit of money. And um, they implemented projects. And we celebrated those projects at a board meeting um, and shared those projects publicly. And we, you know, we were proud of that work, but we found that it was still... Um, our initiative from central office and we just had bigger pockets. Mm. Um, so this year we brought building level teams together along with the building principal and we structured a, a professional learning cohort in which myself, Randy, and our also uh, supervisor of instructional practice, Ross, met with these teams of, of teachers alongside their building leaders and provided some direct instruction and some exploration and inquiry-based learning um, around our profile of a graduate and our learning beliefs and also some of those innovative practices. And then in between those three sessions, um, buildings met and worked on and developed action plans related to the content that we were learning and their goals for their buildings and our overarching goals for the, for the project. And what we found is that we experienced a lot of success, um, largely due to the structure and the involvement of the building principals. Um, because there was an on and our support, there was ongoing work happening at the district level, also happening at the building level. Um, teachers were owning the professional learning and sharing with their colleagues and um, tailoring it to their colleagues wherever they wherever they were, however ready they were, um, whatever their greatest areas of challenge were, and even their areas of strength that they were building upon. So we've seen this idea of leadership really impact our work. So we now have, you know whole staffs who have been exposed to these ideas um, instead of the small pockets. So in your book, you present a section on the importance of leadership in the STEM shift, and maybe you can share with us your thoughts on leadership skills um, that are necessary for moving a school forward or a district forward um, with this underlining, softening the walls of the schools and the STEM foundation. Lynn, you just described, um, Randy had mentioned the chart with entry points um, you described a two-year experience, as I heard it, moving from your own experience in level one to building um, a level two for yourselves. Yeah. And so you're, I hear you being on the precipice of moving into level three as I listen to your description. And that's the concentric circle building out from the individual to the partner, to the building. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me as if you don't need information about the entry points because you've already learned. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would just add that the, the thing that I think I, I hear you and, and Randy talking about and what's important is that can, re, that can be a scattered thing unless the leadership is attending to it and nurturing nurturing it to that new horizon line for the district. So the the added advantage that you are bringing to this is that you two have an articulated vision and are ushering it from each of those um, entry points 
into now what looks like you're aware of what's in your system and what you have to work with. So you're, you're thinking in a way about abundance rather than a deficit model, mm -hmm. which is really important to fuel um, the energy of the district. Mm -hmm. You ask a question about leadership and we structured the book actually with leadership as the center of it. A STEM shift cannot happen without leadership. And so we have a lot of thought about that. I'll begin and then ask Jill to chip, chip in. We know that in every case that we experienced a real STEM shifted district, it had begun within a leader or a small group of leaders. And what does that mean? It means that there was someone yearning for what was next, what was possible. And they had not lost that fire inside. And they were looking around and seeing in other pockets the same yearning. And so it began within a leader. And from that place, that individual started two processes. One was exploring other places, learning what was going on in other places, while simultaneously finding others who were like-minded, like-hearted within their own district. So that leader begins to find others, the others. And it sounds to me as if your Innovate Salisbury team has become that for you. At least it, if it isn't, it certainly could be. So the STEM knowledge that a leader requires, we found some places where districts were involved in STEM shifting and the leader was the person possessing STEM knowledge. We found in most places, however, that the leader had found within the district someone else or a small group of others who were the knowledgeable people about STEM. And the leader was bringing them together to create the catalytic energy that would, um, that would launch a shift. So STEM knowledge is essential. Skills for capacity building and coalition building. Now we do that, we as educational leaders think we have always done that, but for the STEM shifted districts, they became creative and outreaching. Particularly, let me talk to you in terms of partnerships in this. Many of the districts did a scan of the vendors for their district and said, who on this list can provide us not necessarily financial resources, but partnerships in terms of things like professional development for our faculty, things like uh, internship work sites for our students. And they began to ask for new contributions from those partners and found partners very, very willing to join this effort. 
And it's part of something quite refreshing for us. And that is, there is in the business workplace community, a very positive, receptive environment around STEM initiatives because they understand it more than they have understood perhaps what we have been asking for previously. So that capacity for bringing the sectors together is what we mean by coalition building. Now it also has to happen within the system because we're bringing together faculty across disciplines and asking them to think about ways in which there's subject areas which have been previously protected might unite. And so there's a lot of risk taking in this, a lot of opening up and it is non-mandated. So there is a will that is required within the leader that can't rely on, we're being forced to do this. It has to rely on, this is the right thing for us to do for children. And that requires a passion and a reconnection with purpose. So all of the typical skills that leadership needs to bring to a district, we found one thing that we would say to shift the system, regardless of whether it's into a STEM shift or something else that some local district has discovered, trust has to be generated between the leadership of the shift and the internal and external communities. And just one clarification um, has to do with the coalition building and partnerships that um, traditionally, I think we think of partnerships as businesses giving schools money. Um, and this has nothing to do with money. As a matter of fact, um, most of the most powerful partnerships that we came across had a dollar or a check had not crossed between the business and the, and the district. It was time, information, guidance, um, partnering for grant writing, um, but it was not the traditional idea about, you know, let's get like boosters. They, you know, it wasn't getting businesses and colleges to be boosters. It was to be true partners, true partners. Yeah, I really like that idea and, and think there have been lots of things that have resonated with me through our conversation, but that idea of the partners and the way that you frame that is something that we really haven't fully explored, I think. So that that's probably one of my big takeaways today. I can give you a really quick example um, of the power of that. Um, had to do with the shift that took place in um, Metro Nashville STEM Magnet High School, where these students had not had a K-12 problem solving experience. They came up through a traditional old school system. Um, there were uh, girls who were uh, coming to this high school who had intended to go into cosmetology. And because this principal had shifted the high school and the curriculum in, in a different way and had established partnerships, one of which was with Vanderbilt, he brought the uh, Vanderbilt professors in in the uh, ninth and 10th grade 
science courses. And initially, what they did was the kids had to go to Vanderbilt every Friday to do to work on some research. What they found after one year was it was unfair because it meant the kids had to come back and make up the work in the other classes that they had missed. So the following mm -hmm. year, the Vanderbilt profs came into that high school and worked with these classes and developed a problem that eventually went into a statewide competition. Through this process, these girls discovered in themselves a talent and an interest in science. And through this work and that award, they then shifted their high school trajectory, graduated and went to uh, Vanderbilt on full scholarships. Um, so their lives were changed um, through that partnership. And again, no money passed hands. Um, and embedded in that was a passive uh, professional development for the science teachers in the school to get more of a sense of the application of what they traditionally taught um, and to see it come to fruition with even the most unlikely um, population of their students. And the reward from the principal's perspective, as he told us the story, was the student sitting in his office as he called the mom to tell her that the scholarship was forthcoming. And he was so moving in his story that you could tell the meaningfulness of the work was happening at individual levels and it was life-changing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Powerful story that, that really changed lives, Sh shifted, shifted uh, a young person's direction. Very powerful. So what's next for Ann and Jill? We know that you uh, are regular writers on the Leadership 360 blog. You've published this book uh, recently. And so what's, what's next? What are you working on? Well, I'll begin by saying Jill and I are trying to be authentic in our work. And so as we encourage others to be constantly learning, so too are we. And that's part of what joins us, though neither of us came to STEM as through a STEM subject area ourselves. You know, the fact that in science, there's always the exploration. There's always the possibility that our certainty today can change tomorrow. And so we are ourselves voracious learners. It's one of the things we share. And the other thing we share is a belief that Leaders need support if they are going to be investing in risk taking. And so I'll give you uh, one of our, what's next is, is always going to be offering whatever we can to leaders out there who are putting themselves on, on the cutting edge. Um, I'll give you an example there is a school district outside of Philadelphia uh, right now um, who has been having a STEM high school. It's the um, Downington Area School District, and they've been working with STEM um, at their high school. And going into next year, they're looking to expand that initiative into their elementary schools. And so we are trying to offer to them whatever we can 
to support their work with their elementary teachers. That's part of what's new for us. And, you know, we, in the process of, of doing this research and learning as we were bringing the book together, um, there is a, um, a sense for, for us that some places are ready, some places are in the shift, some places are thinking about the shift and some places, um, you know, want nothing to do with the shift, but all schools um, are struggling to find out how to engage students, how to close learning gaps and performance gaps, how to bring excitement back into teaching and learning. And so um, the, the re, um, reconnecting with our own work and the research and some of the research that isn't uh, or didn't make it to the book, but informs us. Um, so we feel, we feel um, pretty, I guess, gifted with the opportunity to speak to the field through the blog and Education Week. So as we learn and um, shift um, in, and learn other examples of how schools are growing um, and changing, um, we share that in that way. So that's kind of, you know, what's next. It's funny that you say that. That's a West Wing reference. <laughs> <laughs> So I really appreciate that you um, are both learners and want to be really authentic in your work and you're looking for examples and experiences and you know we'd love to, to share our story and tell our story and um, certainly get feedback from you on that. So we'd love to connect again in the future and we are very appreciative of the time that you've given us this morning, Ann and Jill, for our listeners to learn more about Ann and Jill's work. Uh, we have linked the books that they've written. You've also can check out jillberkowitz.com and leadership360 on Twitter um, to learn more about their work. And I will thank you for the invitation this morning. And I will concur with Lynn. Uh, this has been a really uh, interesting conversation, very much appreciated and uh, very thought provoking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions include, how has your paradigm of STEM education shifted as a result of today's conversation? And what are your entry points to a systemic shift fueled by STEM? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just engage with the resources shared, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode 16. That's all for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with some more innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Ann and Jill. Thanks, Ann and Jill. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye, Bye Lynn. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com 
forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.